You're listening to Diplomatic Dispatch, brought to you by Idea Farm Malaysia. Get updates on our upcoming episodes and programs via our website at www.ideafar.gov.my or follow us on our social media at Idea Farm Malaysia. Good day, listeners. There is no greater happiness for a man or woman than approaching a door at the end of a day, knowing someone on the other side of that door is waiting for the sound of his or her footsteps. A quote by Ronald Reagan. With that quote, I believe the listeners would be able to identify today's episode of Diplomatic Dispatch, which is the life of trailing spouses. Marriage is a commitment taken as a couple to share a life together through thick and thin. Being a diplomat spouse requires huge sacrifice and effort to make the relationship work due to an unwavering journey and frequent high-level engagement. Therefore, for this episode of Diplomatic Dispatch, we have approached Madam Lim Bi Lin, spouse of the Deputy Secretary General for Multilateral Affairs of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. For the period of 1998 to 2021, she has accompanied Ambassador Chong Lun Lai in various overseas assignments which includes Washington DC, USA, Moscow, Russia, Hong Kong, China, Accra, Ghana and recently Budapest, Hungary. With that, IDFR would like to sincerely express our gratitude for your participation and we welcome you to the IDFR's Diplomatic Dispatch. Before you decided to pursue a nomadic lifestyle, you were in the journalism field for six years as a reporter in The Star and as a broadcast journalist in TV3. Subsequently, I am proud to mention that you are a graduate of University Malaya, Malaysia and also currently holding a master's degree scroll from the University of Leeds, UK. Having all these qualifications, what was the motivating factor for you to quit journalism and embark on a life as a diplomatic spouse? Thank you, Mr. Taven, for having me on this podcast and thanks for your very kind introduction. But uh, having two degrees even back then in the 1990s was really nothing to shout about as there are even more highly skilled and educated spouses amongst us. But indeed, I was very comfortable with my career then and had set my eyes high on the corporate ladder. However, as fate has it, I married a Wisma Putra officer and home is where his job takes me, the first being Washington DC, USA. To answer your question, what made me quit my job? Well, it was a simple consideration. What is the point of a marriage if we were in separate continents? So I didn't think twice about resigning from my job to join him on his first posting abroad as the second secretary at the Embassy of Malaysia in Washington, D.C. I had thought I could pick up my career once we returned to Malaysia, but one posting led to another, and when the kids came along, a career was no longer important to me, because the family now takes priority. To me, it was a sacrifice worth making. But I would like to mention that Despite giving up my career, I've been able to still dabble in writing, which is my first degree. I had written and contributed articles to newspapers and magazines in the early days of my diplomatic journey, and I continue writing today in the form of blogs and digital diaries. So it was not a total loss for me. That is really a huge sacrifice and we are astonished on how you have been successfully being a mother and wife without neglecting your passion behind. Moving forward, practicing the art of mingling as a journalist and as a spouse of a diplomatic officer are distinctive in nature. In this regard, appreciate it if you could share with us the comparison between the two roles and the challenges that you have encountered in practicing it as a spouse of our officer. Before I get to your question, let me share with you my impression when my passport was elevated to a diplomatic passport. Wow, looks impressive, right? But in it, my profession went from reporter to housewife. Huh? Not so impressive anymore. But the reality was just that. I had traded in my pens and notepads 
for pots and pans, from having a paid job to a non-paying one. This certainly wasn't what I had imagined during my initial encounter with diplomats 30 years ago in 1992. As a young reporter then, I was assigned to cover a Deepavali open house by the Indian High Commissioner to Malaysia. The host and hostess, flanked by their two teenage daughters, mingling in a crowd of very distinguished-looking guests in their lovely residence, was quite an envious sight. After the Deepavali assignment, I had thought to myself, hmm, I could live like that. And who knew? Five years later, I did. Or at least my journey towards that lifestyle began. My baptism of fire happened shortly after I joined my husband Cheong in Washington, D.C. A minister had arrived in town for an official visit. Being the wife of one of the junior officers, I merely had to get in line, smile and offer a warm greeting. Oh, that was easy, I thought. Considering I need not arm myself with questions to pose the minister or jostle with other media folks to get a story. I was just happy being in the background and making up the crowd. In our second posting to Moscow, I continued making up numbers in the crowd and contently so. By our third posting, when Cheong was the Consul General of Malaysia in Hong Kong, we stood at the top of the line to receive guests at our own events. Well, that's just to give you an idea of my transition from being a reporter to a diplomatic spouse. So back to your question, the comparison in the art of mingling being in the two different roles. Now, whether a reporter or a diplomatic spouse, indeed, both roles require me to meet and mingle with people. It's quite an interesting juxtaposition, the fact that, as a reporter, I mingle for work. And as a diplomatic spouse, my work is to mingle. A reporter mingles to source for a story, while a diplomatic spouse mingles for social interaction. And having done both, I dare not claim I possess the art of mingling. I suppose I merely play the part expected of me. When I was a reporter, my job was to attend an event, mingle if I need to, then interview the subject or VIP, write the story, and submit it to my editor. As a diplomatic spouse, I accompany my husband to receptions or play hostess when we have our own events. We sometimes become the subjects in the story. Now, one of the challenges being a spouse for me is trying not to think as a reporter. Having been trained as a reporter, I always see a potential story in every place I go, every event I attend, every person I meet, every chat I exchange. And as you know, in the course of our duties attending official events and receptions, we have the privilege of meeting many interesting personalities, the rich and famous, politicians, celebrities, etc. Having direct access to these people would have been a dream come true for any reporter to gain exclusive interviews. Uh -huh. For example, in Hong Kong, we had the privilege to meet some of the people listed on Hong Kong Forbes' 40 richest. And in Moscow, we had a historic figure right in our living room, in the form of Malaysia's Angkasawan. He had dropped by our home for a chat not long after his return from space in 2007. On such occasions, the reporter in me would have jumped at a chance of an exclusive interview at every opportunity. But the spouse in me now is seeing them in a different light, more as friends and acquaintances rather than subjects for articles. And that's really a pity, all the exclusives I could have earned. Another challenge of mingling as a diplomatic spouse is being viewed as just that, a spouse. If a reporter and a diplomatic spouse were to stand side by side, You'd agree with me that the reporter would have been treated with more credence. But as a spouse standing next to my diplomat husband, 
I will always be seen merely as a spouse, regardless of what qualifications I have or what career I had before. And that's something I've come to accept, being the trailing spouse that I am. Ma'am, we do realize the workload and responsibility of an accompanying spouse in our diplomatic missions abroad. Concurrently, they are also responsible for the family's well-being too. Therefore, how did you manage to bring up your children by incorporating Malaysian values into them despite being exposed to other cultures? First and foremost, I have to be totally honest and confess that I've had my share of struggles bringing up our two girls over the years in different continents. I am by no means a perfect parent, nor are my children model kids. With that said and out of the way, yes, we as parents do try to instill in them our Malaysian way of life, to provide them that home environment whenever we are abroad. And how do we do that? In the confines of our own home, we live the way we would in Malaysia, practicing our traditional customs from lifestyle to food. The same upbringing as we would in Malaysia, instilling family values and faith, having respect for the elders and mutual respect for each other. In school, when international festivals are celebrated, they bear the Malaysian identity, carrying the Jalo Gamilang and donning the Baju Kurong. And we set up a Malaysian booth to display our country's cultural items and food. At missions, we organize cultural festivals, Agong's birthday reception, Merdeka celebration, and the children are always involved, giving them that sense of belonging and reminding them of our Malaysian identity. And more recently, through the Class Bimbingan Malaysia KBM launched in 2019 admissions abroad, there are classes conducted for the children of home-based staff with the emphasis on the usage of Bahasa Malaysia and knowledge on our culture and heritage so the children do not lose that connection to the nation. Oh, wonderful! Speaking of which, our older daughter has spent most of her growing up years abroad. She's what one would call a third culture kid. After she completed high school in Hungary, she was open to the idea of returning to Malaysia to reconnect with her Malaysian roots. And this was while we were still serving in Budapest. Very happy to say that she's been able to adapt to the new environment here, reconnect with relatives, make new friends, and even completed a degree at a private university in Subang Jaya. That said, exposure to foreign cultures can be advantageous too, as the kids are able to see and experience for themselves the differences and even similarities in foreign cultures and ways of life. Their multicultural upbringing and exposure can help them have a better understanding and appreciation for the world around them. That is a great sharing. I certainly believe that it would be helpful for our people and officers abroad to instill Malaysian values and cultures in their children. Next, you have accompanied Ambassador Cheong in five overseas assignments over a period of more than 20 years. Therefore, being an experienced member and head of Persatuan Wanita Kementerian Luar Negeri, or could be referred as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs Ladies Association of Malaysia, Perwakilan, what are your views on the current role of the association abroad and how the ministry could strengthen or elevate its role in years to come? The role of Perwakilan, whether in Kuala Lumpur or admissions abroad, has remained the same since its inception in 1978. Among others, Pawakilan strives to foster good relationship among the members, and we carry out activities that contribute towards strengthening this relation. Pawakilan chapters abroad play a greater and broader role in assisting our missions to promote Malaysia through cultural, social, educational and sporting activities, and this can help to strengthen the goodwill and friendship within the diplomatic community and with the host country, as well as with the Malaysian diaspora. 
So it is very important that Pawakilan at our embassies, high commissions and consulates abroad continue to carry out this complementary role. While abroad, Pawakilan also helps to look after the well-being and welfare of our home-based staff and family to help them settle in quickly and to ease the disruptions in their lives caused by the move. And depending on the mission's capacity and capability, we try to expand our assistance to the Malaysian diaspora as well. Another area of welfare is that of our children. We acknowledge the difficulties our children go through growing up abroad, feeling detached from our home country, losing their sense of belonging, etc. And over the years, there have been continuous efforts to help them overcome these. Understanding the need to address this long-standing issue, Pawakilan finally put together a program called Class Bimbingan Malaysia that I had mentioned earlier. It was launched in 2019 by Pawakilan patron Datin Sri Nolin Shamso Bahri, wife of our foreign minister. Oh, interesting. Class Bimbingan Malaysia, KBM, is a learning program structured after our Malaysian education system and targeted for the children of our home-based staff. It is a module and lesson plans designed to instill in them the knowledge of our country, our history, our heritage. And as I mentioned earlier, KBM also emphasizes the learning and usage of Bahasa Malaysia in the children when they are abroad. And this program is run by Pawakilan Admissions. The numbers and ages of the children may vary at each mission. Therefore, the program is executed at their discretion. But at least there is now a standard module as a guideline. And the lessons are conducted by our own Pawakilan members, some with teaching qualification. Speaking of which, Pawakilan members are a talented lot, coming from various backgrounds and having varied skills. I'm happy to note that in my years abroad, I've come across many members who shared their skills whether cooking, baking, sewing, dancing, doing crafts, etc. And by doing so, they help contribute to the success of Pawakilan and missions activities like National Day receptions, festive celebrations, charity bazaars. For me personally, I used to contribute in the way I knew best by writing and publishing its annual bulletins in my first three postings. And I can't stress enough the importance of each member playing her part in her own way. We need not compete nor compare who is better at doing what. Because when we are at mission, big or small, every bit of help is much appreciated. And more so at hardship post where life is already tough, we help each other by being more understanding and less critical, more forgiving and less demanding. And regardless of how long we have been in service, how senior or how junior one is, humility and empathy are two traits that one should always practice. Moving on to the question of how the ministry could strengthen or elevate Pawakilan's role in years to come. Uh For a start, it is important that the ministry continues to acknowledge and recognise our roles at missions abroad and continue to provide support and motivation for us to carry on with the tasks. In this regard, we are grateful that the ministry, through IDFR, has been conducting pre-posting courses that include spouses' participation. Such courses do help prepare, especially the junior spouses, for postings abroad and expose them to the task and responsibilities of complementing their husband's job. At the same time, senior spouses have also been invited as guest speakers at these pre-posting courses. And this is good because the senior spouses are able to share about the roles of spouses and Pawakilan. 
so our other halves could better understand what is expected of us at missions and that they too need to be supportive of us because at the end of the day, support should be both ways. And still on the issue of support, I would also like to mention that the ministry has been generous in allocating Pawakilan its own room in Wisma Putra. This was a far cry from the early days of Pawakilan. Back then in the 70s, meetings were conducted in the canteen of the old Wisma Putra and also in members' private homes. According to Pawakilan founder Puan Sri Razima Zakaria, when I interviewed her sometime in 2004. The ministry has also been generous in allowing Pawakilan to use all its facilities in Wisma Putra, and this is progress indeed. I am reminded again of what Puan Sri Razima told me, and I quote her, Back then, we weren't even allowed to enter the building for fear of interfering with our husband's work. And so today, we count ourselves fortunate we have access to the building, its facilities, training courses, and even transportation when needed. We hope members will make full use of these privileges, be actively involved in Pawakilan, use it as a training ground for the greater responsibilities that they are bound to take on later at missions abroad. Speaking of missions abroad, a motto I hold on to is, we arrive and meet as strangers, but we leave as friends. From experience, I know Pawakilan can bring members together, allows us to establish new friendships and renew old ones and create a Kaluaga Pawakilan away from home. Oh, on that note, I must also highlight that Pawakilan acknowledges the role of male spouses at missions too. And we now have the term Mr. Pawakilan. That's great. But I shall leave this for discussion for another time. Last but not least... What is your pearl of wisdom to all the trailing career-oriented diplomatic spouses? When one is married to a foreign service officer, one would already be aware of the certainty of being posted abroad. For a foreign service officer, overseas assignments are much anticipated and looked forward to. But the same can't be said for the spouse, especially one with a career. So for many working spouses, there will come a time, or several times, when they come to the crossroad and face the dilemma to follow or not to follow him abroad. I can totally understand one may have a career too good or too important to give up just to be a trailing spouse. But with the great advancement of technology today, it is entirely possible to still have a career by working remotely, depending on your field of work. And there's always the possibility of taking sabbatical leave and returning to your old job a few years later. So that being a trailing spouse does not necessarily spell the end of one's career. Because looking at the positive side, being a trailing spouse allows you the time and space to embark on new adventures, find other interests, work on your hobbies, pick up new skills, start a family, focus on motherhood, and many, many more possibilities. And having gained new knowledge and experiences, this may even help boost your career or re-employment prospects later. So whether to follow him abroad or hold on to your career, at the end of the day, it boils down to priority. Everyone has different priorities. Therefore, couples need to discuss and talk it over and decide what is best for them under their circumstances at that point of time. It may be a decision that involves just the two of them initially, but later there will be other factors to consider, including kids, schools, which country you are going to. Uh -huh. Diplomats are in the foreign service to serve the king and country. And for me, it is the family. 
And wherever his job takes him, the family goes with him for as long as we can, regardless of good or hardship posts. Looking back, of course I wondered where I would have been up on the corporate ladder had I not resigned. Of course, occasionally, I mourn the loss of my financial freedom too. But I also know the gains far outweigh the losses. Despite numerous sacrifices and struggles, being a trailing spouse has opened so many doors to exciting experiences and travels. The irony is that I thought being a reporter would take me places, but it didn't. And I thought being a housewife would ground me, but instead it brought me around the world. Well, almost. Officially to five postings on four continents, and we have also travelled to numerous other countries on our own. I have picked up new skills, made many friends, collected memories over the years that money cannot buy. So to the career-oriented spouses, I would say, success and happiness are really up to us to define, be it by having a career, having a job title, having a big paycheck. But fulfilment comes in many forms, and for me, it is being together as a family wherever his posting takes us. With that, I, on behalf of the Director General and staff of the Institute of Diplomacy and Foreign Relations, would like to convey our sincere appreciation for your participation in this podcast. And for dear listeners, we have come to the end of our diplomatic dispatch on the life of trailing spouses, and we certainly look forward to having you with us in our future podcasts. Thank you. Tune in for more episodes of the IDFR podcast, Diplomatic Dispatch. Thank you for listening.